much like movies from the 80s had a massive impact on shows like Stranger Things, I figured that Stranger Things itself would have a massive impact on our own horror movies going forward. I just didn't think it would be the synth soundtrack. <laughs> You're listening to The Clemson Take with hosts Nate Newworth and Sean Place, a weekly podcast where we discuss movies, old and new. Just know that I'm really confused by the soundtrack from this movie. <laughs> so this week we went to go see Gretel and Hansel. Do we want to lead off with some quick news? Yeah, let's go ahead and get into some news first. Actually, first, some sponsors. Bum, oh bum, bum. Are we going to make money? No. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so Clemson players, thank you for sponsoring us, quote unquote. If you are listening to this, there's the Bright Star musical coming up. It is goes on production. The 20th of February runs all that weekend, and it is a bluegrass musical. It's fun. It's light. It doesn't have a deeper meaning. So if you're looking to escape, go ahead and see it. It'll be about two hours long. I'm in it. I move set pieces. Conflict of interest. Oh, yeah. <gasps> Me? No. But also, <laughs> shout out to Gold Foil Toilet Paper. Whoa. Yeah, if it was good enough for the lunar lander, it's good enough to land on your near lunar. <laughs> okay <laughs> and they're not paying us either no they're not gold foil toilet paper gold foil toilet paper if you have money to spend might as well spend it on your rear end wow <laughs> how long did you spend on me that one was improvised just now oh the ending part yeah yeah okay I'm, but I mean, like, the whole thing. The whole thing? Probably, like, three weeks. Oh, wow. So <laughs> I've been meaning to do it for a while now. <laughs> okay. Thank you to those sponsors. Uh, I don't have any snappy punchlines. Thumbtacks. Don't tack your thumb with them. I, I don't think that's a very, <laughs> very good punchline. Why not? Full steam ahead. Full steam ahead. One piece of news that I thought was interesting is that Netflix it has signed on Adam Sandler for four more films this year. Makes sense. He's making them a lot of money, at least by the figures that they've given out. Yeah, and they have planned total of what, like twenty five films. I, th- I think for the year, yeah, yeah, it's a ridiculously high number, and they're going to spend a lot of money, and especially for a major studio. It seems like they're losing a lot of money, and their solution seems to be to just keep throwing more money at it, which spend money to make money. Yeah, best of luck. Yes, and I think it, you know a lot of it reminds me of like the studio era when they, that ended. You know, like MGM lost. They had to sell off a lot of their things to TV. And so, right. uh, you know, you got a lot of these major studios going in and they're making, uh, trying to make their own streaming platforms as well. So, I I mean, I think Netflix is losing money, but at the same time, I don't see this, that this is a way to fail. I can see them completely being successful. Yeah, I, 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 don't, I don't necessarily expect that either. I think that right now, some of the other streaming services are putting out some better original series. Yeah, to me, it seems like Netflix is just, it's almost like they have too many. Yeah, I agree. And I feel like they've plateaued. Like they, they set, they kind of set the pace or they thought they did. And then a lot of people kind of passed them by. Yeah. At least in terms of the original like series. In the hair kind of situation. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I don't understand analogies. I was going to critique it, but that's exactly right. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but you want to know how to write a Netflix series? How is that? Step one. Protagonist. It's like, starts off like anything else, right? Protagonist, whatever issue you want to throw them, whatever situation you want to put them in. But by the second episode... Take my money. That's their solution. Yes, take our money. 
But by episode two, if there's no nudity, it's not a real Netflix show. Let's see. It didn't matter, though, because I, I, as the Netflix executive, have already thrown all my money at you as soon as you said episode one. Oh, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm just, I'll, I'll give you my money. Oh, okay, good. By the, end of, show. by the end of the decade, we'll all have our own Netflix show. Yes. My new TV show, my new Netflix original series, it stars a protagonist who's going to go through some problems. There'll be some nudity and then some broken hearts. <gasps> It'll be resolved, but not all the way because there might be a season two. <gasps> my goodness, man. Don't, don't give it all away. I know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I couldn't. I'm just so excited for this new project. You see any good movies this week, man? I saw. Yeah, actually, I did. I saw some I really liked. I saw three movies other than the one we just got back from seeing. Uh, I think I'm going to start with my favorite, which is Always Fair Weather. 1955 stars Gene Kelly. It's an MGM musical, and it is about three war buddies who come home after World War II, 1945, and it's their last day together, and they decide in 10 years we're going to meet up at this exact same bar, and we're all going to be friends, and then they show up, and they don't like each other, and then it's like a story of like how they have to become friends again, but it's very... I really liked it. Yeah. I mean, Gene Kelly just singing and tap dancing, and I mean, it's classic. It's not as classic as singing in the rain, but I, it's pretty good. Uh, maybe whenever you graduate, when we do a... A Clemson take five-year reunion. Maybe it'll go similarly. You think we'll hate each other? I already hate you. Oh, never mind. <laughs> oh. I'll see myself out. <laughs> and then another movie was Young Mr. Lincoln, which was 1930, 1939, starring Henry Fonda, so Jane Fonda's dad. Okay. It was pretty good. It was about how Mr. Lincoln rose to popularity in Illinois, basically. There were some fake events, and like a lot of people give it crap because it's not 100% historically accurate. But I think it does portray Abraham Lincoln in a monumental light. And by that, I mean, you know, in the 1930s, there was this big movement of glorifying Abraham Lincoln, George Washington, all these all these major figures so it, it definitely plays into that and like i said a lot of historians are like well this event you know and this event happened years apart but uh in the film that happened like months apart so and I, I liked it and then the last one i watched was a japanese film from the uh, 1930s as well early 1930s and it was called osaka elegy and it was a Basic melodrama, but it starred a female protagonist, which is kind of rare for the 1930s. I was going to, yeah, I was about to double check what year it was. Yeah, it was like 30, it was early 30s, like 34. Wow. And uh, it basically starred a, a female protagonist who, whose dad gets in trouble from work for embezzling money. And then she has to like, basically she's embezzles money too and gets like into trouble with it. And then like, uh, you're just melodrama i guess her boyfriend throws her under the bus and she almost goes to jail and a few other things but yeah kind of really strong women in it so lovely would you like to know nate why i had you lead off because you love ranking order lists and you're gonna give a ranking order list so no actually, <laughs> that, that was what i did last week right i had watched eight movies last week and i listed them all off but the reason i had you go first this time was because i followed that week up with a i had a whopping zero. I've watched nothing. Wow! Since Kill Bill Volume Two. Wow! You took a you took a break. I did. It was a lot. But you watched TV. No. You didn't watch anything. No. Wow. Yeah. I'm surprised for you. You're a big TV guy. I am. I I'm in between shows right now. So uh, I know the feeling. That's a hard step to make. It takes a leap of faith, and I'm not sure that I'm. I I need some more time, Nate. Give me time. Quick reminder before we get into the actual movie, since. We haven't really followed our proposed format since our first episode because we watched a movie that was a dumpster fire and then one that was almost 20 years old. Yeah. 
we will be opening up with our open take. That is a spoiler-free review of the film that we saw, basic thoughts on very general topics, and whether or not we think you should watch it. Then we'll follow it up with the closed take, which is a completely spoiler-filled review. Spoiler-ridden. Spoiler-ridden. There's so many spoilers in it. It makes a frat boy's car look dumb. Wow. <laughs> well done. I'm Thanks. Proud of you. Thanks. Improv. Very well done. And uh, yeah, no, it's going to be a good time. We're going to talk about all of the intricate plot points that take place during the close take. But first, to get us kicked off for the open take, Gretel and Hansel is a horror movie based on the grim fairy tale titled Hansel and Gretel. It is about a girl and a boy who are cast from their home and after wandering through the forest for some time, come across a completely inconspicuous old lady who offers them a bed and an abundance of food. Her, inten- her intentions may be more sinister than meets the eye, though. Gretel and Hansel is directed by Oz Perkins and stars Sophia Lillis and Alice Krieg? Krieg? Mm, I, I, my guess. Guess. Cinematography was done by Gallo Oliveres, and I think that's a good place to start. So I definitely think that this movie, my, my first impression of this movie was indie vibe. Like, he gave off a very strong independent film and i and that's not a bad thing i actually kind of enjoyed that feature of it no i think that the way that it was shot was my favorite part i going into it i said from what i'd seen in the trailer that no matter what happened whether the story was good whether the dialogue was good whether it was well written in the slightest i figured i would at least have fun looking at it and yeah i think that was fair walking out of it i i had fun looking at it it was a pretty movie it was well shot yeah, and the colors, I really liked your basic film editing techniques. You know, when you go off colors, is teal and orange. And it had a lot of that in it to pretty good effect. A lot of shadows, a lot of light through windows was teal or orange. And it definitely set a mood for certain scenes. I agree. I think the lighting was used quite well. I think there was lots of, there were a lot of different shots that were used in this film. There were some wide shots. There were shots where the person was, right smack in the middle of it staring Mm -hmm. practically almost straight at the camera they're just about spiking the lens and there are also a lot of like head tracking shots where every time you know the character's head was bobbing and moving in any motion the camera would follow it completely yeah well would you recommend somebody wanting to see this in the theater uh i i don't know yeah that's about my i think we have to we're, we have to break down some of the other stuff first. But before we move past cinematography, I did want to say something interesting that I saw online. Yes. Because of this guy, uh, Gallo Oliveras, like I said, beautifully shot. Never heard of him before. I had to look him up, see what else he's done. And it turns out uh, next to nothing. Although he apparently played a very big hand in the filming of the 2018, right? Yeah. It's yeah. 2018 already. Uh, film Roma, which won the award for best cinematography. Although... He wasn't the one who took the award. Alfonso Cuaron was, even though apparently Gallo Oliveras played the larger role in it. That's a damn shame. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that turns out. I don't I don't know too much about it, but I don't think they're going to make him give up an award. No, especially since it's two years past. I think that was uh, more of... It, it was, was more of like calling him out. Like Yeah, you... and I think that was also... This is a new story that's only new to us, probably. Yeah, who knows? I, I I didn't realize this. I'd never heard of the guy, like I said. Yeah. I feel bad for him because he's you know, in a business a Yeah, in in a business where your name and reputation is everything, like saying that you worked on Roma and didn't get an award like that hurts the Roma cinematographer a little bit. I in my opinion, but I agree. And uh Gallo, if you're out there, 
in this increasing trend of me speaking directly to people who almost certainly aren't listening to our podcasts, I will be looking forward for whatever films you're working on in the future. So best of luck, Mr. Oliveras. Yeah, I liked your colors. <laughs> well done. <laughs> one thing that we, we watched this with a couple of friends. One thing that uh, one of them said, which I wanted to ask your opinion on, mm-hmm. was said that he found the narration at times a bit annoying. Well, I think this film was marketed, and a lot of them do this nowadays, was marketed as a horror film. Right. And And it wasn't. It was a psychological thriller. To me, that's what it was. Yeah, no, because I wasn't, I I was never really scared. (laughs) And I wasn't expecting the narration. But it starts to make sense. I went to go see Ad Astra, which was another kind of slow burn psychological. Like not that one was another psychological thriller, but it was definitely meant for psychological analysis of the protagonist. And this film does the exact same thing with the narration. You're really supposed to see inside what Gretel is thinking. Right. And I just walked into it thinking horror film. I think it was marketed wrongly. Yeah. And to be fair, well, I mean, on the one hand, I'm sure they did that because... I think more people are interested in the movie that was advertised than the movie that's actually there. Yeah. Unfortunately, but I, I didn't hate the narration. It wasn't my favorite. I think it kind of fits in with the fairy tale aspect of it, mm-hmm. but didn't necessarily make for the greatest movie going experience. Yeah. I would also say something that we probably should have led with actually was obviously the movie is called Gretel and Hansel, not Hansel and Gretel. I expected this would be the reason. It's just because she's the main character. Like she's yeah, the movie's about her. Yeah, it's Hansel's and like he's an afterthought. Yeah, he's he's six years old and she's thirteen, fourteen, probably maybe around fifteen. Yeah. All yeah. that Hansel really does is like swing an axe here and there. Yeah, well, to, no, to no avail. To no avail. Also, so I mentioned this at the offset. The music was kind of weird. Yeah, like it gave off a total indie vibe. It was like synthesizer-y. Yeah, is this weird electronic stuff, which, I, I mean, obviously we already said that this movie wasn't totally a horror, but that was definitely a shock to the senses to go in expecting a horror and then to have this weird electronic music laying it down, which apparently was an original soundtrack by Rob. That's what the, that's what the film credits said. It just said <laughs> Rob. Um, yeah. I don't know who Rob is, but eh, I was underwhelmed. So the director for this film, was this basically, as far as I know, his first feature film? I have no idea. I really don't know. We <laughs> we looked him up. I'd never heard of him before. He did some acting, some screenwriting. He worked on the J.J. Abrams Star Trek film. Mm-hmm. I don't know. what We couldn't see find out in what capacity, really. We didn't honestly search that hard. But yeah. And then he wasn't legally blonde, I assume, as an actor. Probably, because it said that he did some acting back in his day. But this, I don't know how impressed I was with the... The acting was fine. Yeah. Acting was good. So, like, yeah, he did a good job directing the actors in that capacity. But as the film as a whole, for direction, as, if, it's just his, if it's his true first... I mean, he done some small stuff, it looks like, mm-hmm. uh, some short films. But for a first, like, theatrical release, as far as I know, it wasn't bad. I mean, he probably did better than I could have done. That's fair. Pacing, pacing was a little weird. I think the first... Yeah. The whole first act was kind of, it was rushed, which at the time, well, even in hindsight, I'm okay with it being slightly rushed. Like they jumped from place to place fairly quickly. And even though it is a flaw, I think if you don't have the greatest, like that's forgivable to get on mm-hmm. to the actual meat of the story, which is them going to this witch's house. Yeah. It's forgivable. Uh, the second act, I actually, I thought was pretty solid. Things started to get quite intriguing because... 
I mean, it pretty much follows the fairy tale. Yeah, you know the story of the fairy tale. You guys tale. know the fairy tale. We're not going to avoid spoilers on that. Yeah. Uh, the witch is not nice to them. And, well, is foe nice to them. Yeah. And wants secretly to eat them. So you get to watch the tension build with that. And that's fun. And then the third act, I thought would have a bigger bang than it did. Yeah, it just sort of... Eh. And then, obviously, we're avoiding spoilers, but I felt like the ending... It felt like they were going for a twist, but I honestly can't tell if it was a twist that we should evaluate or if it was just one where they went, ooh, what if we put a twist? I think it was more of... No, this film is this film is a slow burn. Yeah. Uh, that being said, was it bad? No. I, it was just a little underwhelming paced for me. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I, I, I guess because I walked into it thinking horror film and, I, you know, horror films are like, ah, in your face all the time. And that, yes, that's exactly how they are. Ah, in your face all the time. So, uh, so I just expected that kind of pacing. And when it wasn't there, I was just kind of like, oh, okay. Right. Maybe, and maybe it would be better watching it a second time, knowing what we now know. That being said, I don't, I don't plan on watching this movie a second time. Yeah. Although if they came out with a sequel, I'd probably go watch it. Yeah, I don't know. If if Gallo is involved, maybe then I'll go just for the visuals. It's lots of pretty symmetry. So now we're going to move more into the closed take portion of this show, which if you haven't seen the movie, my personal opinion is you could definitely stream this. I don't think it's necessary to go see it in theaters. No. Oh, well, well we're not telling people to, uh, to do something illegal, are you, Nate? What you do with my advice is out of my control. Support filmmakers. <laughs> Give them your money. Yeah, so Netflix, Amazon Prime. Yeah, when, once those come around. The, I think this movie's, yeah, I would definitely, if someone was like, you want to watch this on Prime? I'd be like, yeah, sure. I think I will, I might go back and rewatch the trailer a couple times here and there. Yeah, just to, like really, because I'd only seen it really like once, maybe twice. I saw it like once in theaters and then I saw it like on a YouTube ad. And just so I can think about what could have been. Yeah. Because for me, this film felt like they had a really solid like story in the very first act because they they run into the preacher at the beginning and he's like, watch out for wolves, you know, they alluded to like a red riding hood kind of thing. And I was like, OK, yeah, so this, I thought that was interesting because like this movie was like a fairy tale within a fairy tale. Yeah. The thing that before that, though, was really strange in hindsight. Like, I guess they were trying to introduce that this there are some mystical elements to this world, but this like random creature just chasing them out and then getting shot through the head by this guy, and then them just moving right past that felt really abrupt. Well, yeah, because I thought they were going to run into like more mystical creatures yeah. other than the witch. Yeah, because in hindsight, that was that was probably the scariest part of the movie. Yeah, and I think right. that's to me. It sounds like they. I'll have to look this up next week. Well, I'll have to get back to you guys because it feels like there was almost like a rewrite. Like it was going to be more like mystically like horror film. And then it turned into more psychological thriller because of the narration. And then just the pacing of the second act, it was like the only other mystical creature is the witch. Cause in the fairy, in the original fairy tale, it's like the only thing that's like out of place is the witch. But, and they start off the world making it seem like there are a few different things out of place. Like, like I said, they allude to her uh, little red riding hood. They allude to like other mystical creatures, uh, werewolves or just wolves in general that can speak. And then the only thing they run into in the woods is like some hallucinogenic shrooms. Yeah, I was, I was about to bring that up. That was really interesting. I, I mean, I thought it was, that's another one of those things where in hindsight, I don't like it as much in the yeah. moment. Whenever I'm thinking about what's still to come, it feels pretty cool. Having seen where it all leads to, it doesn't really do that much for me. Yeah. 
No, one thing I did think was really cool was how they, so the movie starts off in like a very wide screen, like almost like cinema scope widescreen. Mm-hmm. If you've ever seen like, like Lawrence of Arabia kind of like very like wide, mm-hmm. far off. And I think it was cool how they did that when they introduce the, the fairy tale within a fairy tale, basically this girl with the pink hood has this magic ability and she it basically can predict people's futures but since everybody dies she just instead of telling them their future she just tells them how they die and then she kills them starts like killing them off anyways so they send her away and that was all shot in like this very widescreen and then they switched over to when it was in the main story like a 16 by 10 like kind yeah, of it was, it was a much different aspect ratio which definitely contributed to the indie feel of it yeah so it wasn't it wasn't square not like the lighthouse or like older like films were but not completely a rectangle either it was more rectangle than square but not it didn't fill up the entire screen i i know true yeah and you guys know what i'm talking about so they have like this fairy tale within a fairy tale in the beginning and then it moves into like the witch and i thought they kept saying like oh we're gonna go find like work with these lumberjack guys and then i totally thought that the it was gonna be the lumberjack guys that were gonna have to like appear and like save these guys and there's gonna be like this epic duel yeah that would have been very interesting kind of like little red riding hood where you know right. axe wielding guy cuts open the wolf you know i thought he was in like these axe men were gonna come in and see but uh it wasn't i'm not saying i was disappointed that was just that was what i was expecting i think another thing that in part sort of ruined this movie for me was i not that long ago i well over over christmas break i watched uh the witch by robert eggers yeah and obviously i've talked extensively about his work with the lighthouse but the man is incredible at researching for his scripts and the dialogue is so specific to the time period that watching these people like in, in a similar sort of time period speaking not at all like that just made me feel weird. And also just it was a like this movie was kind of a worse version of that. Of the witch. Yeah. Not that they're I mean, the, the witch isn't about well, children. But at the same time, it, it didn't like the witch is definitely more of a period piece where it this, is where this felt more like it was just sometime in the past, like maybe 1600s. Right. It is a fairy tale. I like it. I they don't need to speak correct time specific language as they do in the witch i just i don't know this movie made me want to watch the witch instead yeah i get that also big takeaway from the movie is that women have mystical powers they can see things that men cannot queen is all powerful and the king can do not well that's accurate actually in chess they play chess <laughs> <laughs> yeah that, it's, it's accurate for the chess but yeah if you're a woman out there, please tell us, will this podcast be successful? But don't tell us how we die. Actually, I don't know. No one in the movie seemed very happy to be told when they were going to die. Or how they were going to die. Yeah. But yeah, I think every, well, I mean, there are only two female characters. Well, the mom. The mom is not very important. The two main female characters, which are pretty much the only two female characters, are, uh, they both have this special ability, which maybe would feel more significant if we were given a larger sample size, right? Mm-hmm. Like if there were five women yeah. and, and these two could had this special ability, we might go like, oh my goodness, they are special. There was no foil for them. There wasn't, no. It was just two women and they both have this super special ability, which doesn't feel special whenever they're the, basically, I mean, Hansel's a small part of the movie in terms of what he contributes and at least his speaking lines for sure. Well, like my screenwriting teacher says, he, remember, screenwriting professor, Nick. (laughs) What Nick says is that children... And when you, if you're writing a screenplay or if it's a novel or if it's a short story, he said the reason you don't see regular children in books is because they don't have the mental capacity to make decisions like adults, which is why if you see like a, a graphic novel about an, a child, it's like he's the smartest child in the town or she has magic powers or he can do this or whatever. Right. And so basically he said children are props that are alive. 
and they they act in certain ways like children are allowed to like like what Hansel did in the movie a lot was ask questions that allowed us to get information out of Gretel or allowed Gretel to interact more with her own thoughts and so in that way he was more of a prop like the prop goes missing and she has to go off and find it and I think I'm not saying that the little boy's inanimate in any way but (laughs) that's basically there was a time in the movie when he just had very lifeless eyes and just kind of stared off in the distance. When he was taken over by the witch. Indeed. So there's interesting reveal at one point that I felt like was worth discussing that kind of sums up the movie in a way where, in the, well, in the fact that it didn't really land mm-hmm. for me, was the movie opens up, like you said, with this fairy tale. Yeah. About this girl in the pink cap, and she has these mystical powers. Yeah. And she can control things, and she is kind of evil and kills her dad by making him shove a really hot piece of metal down his throat. Yeah, I couldn't, I can't remember if he was a blacksmith or a glass blower. I think, I think he was a blacksmith. Oh, okay. That was what I got from it. But the whole movie, you're sitting there and you're kind of assuming that this witch in the middle of the forest is the girl in the pink cap. And then later in the film, it's revealed that that's not the case. But that the witch in the middle of the forest is that girl's mother who, after giving up that child, that evil witchy child, then ate her own children and became evil and had evil powers herself. I think, yeah. So basically, the witch had this pink capped daughter who had this special ability. They sent her back off into the darkness of the woods with another witch. The Enchantress. The Enchantress who we don't really know anything about. No. Then the daughter kind of like haunts the mom and she's like, well, you can join me and learn these powers. And I think it's because it goes back. The the reason I got out of it was because the mom was scared of aging and death. Yeah, she did touch on that. Which is is a shame because the Jedi Council never told her about the tragedy of Darth Plagueis the Wise. (laughs) (laughs) You don't understand that. Uh, Just don't. I don't know if it's worth it. (laughs) It's not worth explaining. Um... (laughs) But yeah, no, I don't know. The reveal, I felt like it was supposed to be more impactful than it was because that happened and I was like, yeah, all right, okay. It was kind of interesting, but I don't know. It didn't hit me very hard. That being said, the scene that it took place in, I thought was interesting with the two of them sitting at the table. Yeah, there was a moment of like, like, all right, you know and I know what's going on here, so let's just talk about it. And I thought that that was well done. The fact that she's sitting there and she goes, she's drinking this concoction that- It was uh, a tea. The girl has this tea that this girl has made for her, and she's just looking her right in the eyes and saying, ah, poison tastes very sweet. I've built up an immunity to it. And she's just downing this thing, and she's staring back at her, and she goes, why would you do this? Why would you try to poison me or put me to sleep? Yeah. Yeah, I think from, as you know, both players have their cards on the table or their chess pieces positioned. Yeah, it was almost like a, it was not quite a stalemate. I mean, the witch could have killed her at any moment, but the witch basically... Gretel was supposed to turn into, like, the next witch, essentially. Right. It felt like she was laying the groundwork grooming her, her to take over. And in order for that to happen, Gretel needed to rid herself of Hansel. Yes. She needed to rid herself of earthly desire. That's true. And the one thing, her poison that was holding her back was her younger brother. And so in order for her to rid herself of him... She had to eat him. Yes. And... First, the witch was going to burn the little boy alive, send him up in a cage above a raging fire. But luckily for Gretel, she had been taught some magical powers and decapitated the witch and burned her alive. Oh, yes, because she was going through puberty and had a greasy forehead. <laughs> Which honestly <laughs> is kind of funny. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, like that little point. I'm like, yeah, that that makes sense. Kind of. <laughs> 
I mean, the, I guess that part, I don't totally understand why having grease on your fingers allows you to call this staff and control it. Yeah. But eh, I, I guess it's like a suspension of disbelief thing. If we're assuming that someone is able to like use telekinesis on a staff, then why not just accept that they have to have greasy hands to do it? Yeah. And Gretel's ability. So like the girl with the pink hat, we never really know what happens to her. No, I thought we were going to see, I, I, whenever that flashback started, I thought we were going to see that the mom killed her, but, but it never is no, explained. She just got sent off into the forest with the enchantress. Yeah. Her ability, the girl in the pink cap's ability was to see the future and see how people die and manipulate them to die. Whereas Gretel's ability is to talk to other life forms like plants and animals and stuff, which I thought was an interesting twist because one leads to death and one leads to life. And so at the very end, she does turn into a witch, but it's almost like this is the vibe I got from it. She turns into like a good witch. Probably. I, I think, I feel like that would make more sense. I feel like the way that they did it felt weird because whenever her fingers turned gross and black, she looked alarmed and disturbed. Like, Oh man, what am I becoming? which felt like they were ending it on a twist ending. They, they shouldn't have had her have that, like, semi-scared look on her face. Well, if your fingers started turning black. I know. I just feel like it's a weird shot to end on gotcha. if you want it to be more hopeful and this sense of I can do right by what she did wrong. Because it, the scene right before that is her watching all of these children that had been captured by the witch. Well, their spirits. Walk free. Their spirits walk free and be free. Yeah, I mean, they're not walking free. They were eaten. Yeah. Gobbled up. Went down the gullet. Yeah. Transformed into uh, some, well, some nice loaves of bread first and actually consumed by Gretel and Hansel themselves. Like, I, so I've been trying to think, I've been trying to grasp, like, what's the central message of this? Because we do have this, like, narration. Basically, Gretel's going throughout and she's, like, questioning, like, she doesn't know what to do with her life kind of thing. And so I think the message of the film is, like, you're in control of your own destiny, like I said. Like, you do have a say in what happens to you. Like, you, you can act and not just be acted upon. My takeaway was that everything goes downhill when you're off shrooms. Right? After that <laughs> moment, man, they get sucked in by witch. They eat children. Yeah, I was also just speaking maybe on the quality of the film. Yeah, it, well, it definitely took <laughs> no, a twist yeah. like before that, like because right, that's where basically when the second act starts, right, is right before that moment. And I, I wouldn't actually say that that's where the film dipped in quality, because actually that was where it was probably starting to get good. That was the beginning of the better part of the film, like you said, it was the beginning of the second act. Yeah, and I think where this the reason we're like eh, on this movie where it fails is just that story cohesiveness. Like, there's too many unanswered questions. And which is why I'm like, well, if it came out with a sequel, I'd see it because I kind of want to get these answers questions. I want these answers I have to have questions and questions that have answers. <laughs> I would like you to question my answers. Please. <laughs> so I think that's one one reason it's like a eh kind of film. And then another reason it's kind of meh is because it did start off with like this hinting at like a fantasy and then nothing really came of it. My, I, World cohesiveness. Yeah. And I think my main takeaway even though, yeah, I would agree with that, and I didn't love everything that this movie was, I just, now I've realized that I want grim fairy tales, but that are actual horror movies. Okay. And are actually scary, and will really frighten you, because I kept sitting around waiting for this movie to frighten me, and make me... I did get one jump. Like, I did jump once in the movie that was like a, there was like, I don't know if it was a jump scare, but it definitely, there was one moment that did get me. Do you remember specifically what it was? No. Okay. I, I do remember one point, the biggest, like, because there was a jump scare moment where there were, like, birds or something that flew past her. I think. I don't yeah. know. I don't know. But I don't think that's what we should be looking for, though, in horror movies even then. Because that's cheap. It is a cheap scare. 
but so I, I guess the title for this movie is psychological thriller that wanted to be a whore, but never was. He wanted to grow up and be a horror movie, but he was stuck in his ways. And instead, he landed a low-level job at Psychological Thriller. Although some Psychological Thrillers are good. I prefer Psychological Thrillers if they're done well. I, I, I enjoy them as well. But here we have a psychological movie that wanted to grow up and be a horror film. But sadly, all he got out of life was a thriller. It was very mismarketed. I feel that way. And one of the last things we're going to touch upon is Gretel and her character arc. We already kind of talked about Hanzo and how children are just props in movies that either make us feel emotions in one way or another, or like get a protagonist to say or do something really. But Gretel, she starts off trying to support her brother and keep her family afloat while also trying to balance that with maintaining her own pride and dignity. And so she goes through the film questioning what it is she exactly wants and who she wants in her life. And then she comes to accept who she is. And it, because one of the things that she's like, and I actually kind of believe this too, is, you know, in order to give something, you know, you have to receive something. Something's always taken when you give something. Right. They touched on that quite heavily throughout the movie. And so I think the priest in the beginning showed her that, you know, true kindness does exist. And he kind of acted as a foil for the witch where she was like, I'm giving you this, but I'm going to like turn you into witch and eat your brother. Right. And as much as the witch was evil and was a little messed up by trying to make her eat her brother, Gretel did realize that she was right, that in order to progress as a human being, she did have to give up her brother in some sense, which was in the end just parting ways with him, not by eating him, just by yeah. sending him away to be safe somewhere else. Yeah, to be safe. And as I think she put it, like, to find his own path. And I'm like, dude, this kid's six. That's very true. But slightly more elegant solution than gobbling him up. I'm a sucker. So I'd like to see him come back and be like, I'm a man now. And she'd be like, I... And see what she turned into. I have too many questions. That's why I want a sequel. <laughs> Even if it's just streaming on Amazon Prime, I want to see some. I want to see what happens. But I don't think that'll ever happen. Not for this film. I don't think it'll make that much money. No, probably not. The theater was uh, quite empty. Yeah, it was, it was us four and one other guy. Yeah, and it is tough to gauge how much a movie is going to make just by how much how many people are in there. Because, I mean, I think Doolittle was supposed to lose a lot of money and our, our theater was pretty full. Yeah. So, who knows? Hopefully, for cinematography's sake, this movie... I'm going to say I hope this movie breaks even. Yeah, yeah. I hope this movie breaks even. You know, maybe even make a penny or two. Yeah. It's not something that... Because here's the thing. People pay with their wallets. Obviously, I, I don't actively want someone to lose money because that's bad for people. But I don't want something bad, you know, to be like a blockbuster success. Yeah. Because then they'll start making more movies like that. But this movie wasn't terrible. I'm not, like a, do, a solid three out of five stars. <laughs> like, maybe I, a little less. I would probably give it a little less. But yeah, 2.7, um, 2.75. I don't know. 2.75 for me out of five. No, nah, 2.7. We're just going to keep dropping it the longer that we do. 2.7. I like how at the end of that year, it's like, I can't do it. I don't know the next one we have. got to get that auction. Yeah, I don't have your ability. But 2.7. That's my official Nate rating. 2.7 out of five. I, I don't have an official... Just idea. enough to make me want to see a sequel. Okay. I don't want to see a sequel, really. Oh, you know what? I'll watch it alone, then. Uh, okay. You go watch The Lighthouse again. You hate me, anyway. <laughs> you would rather watch a sequel than The Lighthouse? I invite new content into my life. I'm giving Nate a very stern look right now. I'm smiling. <laughs> I'm doing my best not to smile. So this next week, we are going to be doing... Something very exciting. We haven't done this before. 
we are going to be analyzing a director instead of, um, well, just say it, Sean. Denny Villeneuve. Thank you. Thank you very much. So we're going to be analyzing his director style and his flair. And to do that, we'll basically be watching two movies. And some of the movies you've more his more well-known movies arrival which came out 2016 blade runner 2049 in 2017 and then he did sicario in 2015 and sicario dia del day of the soldado soldier in 2018 are his biggest films that he's done we for the purpose of this next episode will be focusing primarily on arrival and sicario which i really i love sicario have you ever seen arrival Yes, yeah, okay, I've okay, seen okay. it at least two or three times. Okay, I think I've seen it twice. They're both incredible films. I'm a humongous fan of Denis, and I am incredibly excited for his movie, as we spoke in our first episode, Dune, that comes out later this mm-hmm. year. So I think it is a very timely episode for us to do. And Sakara is one of my favorite films. I feel like it's one of probably one of the most tense films I've ever watched. Yeah. Whenever they go into I think Juarez. It's very realistic. The yeah. firefight scenes are realistic. That's a good movie. And Arrival was, I think, the first film I watched when I got back from Mexico. Really? Yeah. So Arrival is one of those films where... Yeah, you, I didn't watch a single like movie <laughs> for two years. I get back and I watch Arrival and I have no idea. I have no idea what the plot line was doing. <laughs> right. Arrival is one of those films where that makes me really actually value science fiction. Like when science fiction is done right, I think that's my favorite genre. Yeah. Whenever you can take something completely inhuman and use it to say something incredibly profound about humanity, that's dope. That's dope. <laughs> All right. Thanks for making fun. <laughs> Am I wrong, though? You're not wrong. Thank you. You're welcome. So we will be back next week reviewing Denny Villeneuve and his filmmaking style. Nate, where can people find you? On Instagram, underscore, underscore, Naderate, underscore. You can find me at Sean T. Place. You can also go to our website, clemsintake.movie.blog, and you can check us out on Instagram, at the Clemson Take, where you can see our updates to our podcast and our website. We have some, this week actually, we got some changes coming to the website. Hopefully, I'll get my own section up at the website. And there's also under the Beyond Movies tab, hopefully, I'll be able to get out a synopsis about a tv show called longmire on netflix i also meant to put out a review at some point last week it ended up being a very busy week for us uh well i guess this was more about me because i'm talking about something that i was supposed to do it was a very busy week for me in the build-up to our improv show but i will do my best to get it out this week and maybe even a second one if i can find the time because i had a lot of fun writing the first one and i want to put more content on our website And I hope that you visit it and give us some love. Give us some love. And uh, as always. Yeah, we don't have an intro. Bye. (laughs) (laughs) Outro, outro. (laughs)